Lord, you are the one who has called us by your grace and your mercy to trust in your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. And Lord, because of what Jesus has done, we're given new life. And our life isn't lived alone, but our life is lived in community with one another. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would teach us today. What does it mean to live as a community? What does it mean to look to you in the midst of the difficulties of life when we find ourselves in that desert place where there's no food? What does it mean to trust in you and to find in you the provision, the provision of your grace? Lord, we, we declare today that we need you. We don't, we don't have what it takes. We don't have the stuff that we need. So we come before you in faith and we simply ask that you would fill us. Fill us with the bread of life. Fill us with your word. Send down the manna of your grace and your mercy in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be opening our Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. I invite you to turn there with us today. Exodus chapter 16 is the account in which the Israelites have wandered into the wilderness. You know the account of how Moses was sent into Egypt to free his people from the captivity of Pharaoh. Uh, through many different events that happened in the book of Exodus, we see that eventually God let, uh, rescued the people, that Pharaoh let the people go, that God rescued them miraculously uh, on dry ground through the Red Sea. The Red Sea was split. They went into the wilderness. And here we come to their first test, their first trial, their first moment of difficulty in the wilderness, the Israelites had just experienced the goodness and the faithfulness of God at the Red Sea, his provision, his power, and here they are in the wilderness. And what happens? Exodus chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of sin. Now, the desert of sin is not a metaphor for rebellion. It's simply the name of the desert uh, the word for uh, sin in Hebrew is, is not the pronunciation sin, but they find themselves in this desert, which is between Alim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So the Israelites, they're looking back at their time in Egypt when they were slaves. They remembered their pot roast. They remembered all the food that they had. But they forgot that they were held as slaves. And that they were treated terribly by Pharaoh. And so here they complain to Moses, you brought us, this whole assembly, the whole nation of Israel, into this desert to starve to death. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gathered on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You who are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. So they weren't grumbling against Moses, but they were grumbling against God. Verse 9, Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared in the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. That word, what is it, literally means manna. What is it? Manna. For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who did not, uh, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers, for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a, a, a day of Sabbath rest. O holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Here is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. If you ever found yourself in a place where you doubt God's ability to provide? Have you ever found yourself in that desert place and you wonder, will God come through? Will he provide? Will he give what he promises in his word? See, we doubt that God is at work within our problems. And we, we fixate, we, we fix our eyes upon the problems of life. But what is God calling us to do? In the midst of all the difficulties that we face in life, for the Israelites, it was being led into the desert of sin where there was no food. Did they fix their eyes on the Lord? No. They grumbled. They complained. They focused on their problem, but God is calling us to look to Him. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to turn our eyes from the problems that we're facing in life to Him who is the solution, who is the answer, who is the way, the truth, and the life, to Jesus who is the bread from heaven who gives us life. So what happens when you look to God in the middle of your problem? What, what, what happens to us when we fix our eyes on Jesus in the midst of the difficulty rather than fixating on the problem. Many of you, you know already, you know what happens when you fix your eyes on Him through the desert parts of life, through the, the difficult parts of life, through the trials of life. Many of you are walking through trials today. You're, you're going through some, some really tough times. And you know that, that when you, your eyes are fixed upon Jesus, your whole perspective begins to change. Th though you're in the, in the midst of difficulty and hardship, your, your perspective on life changes. You see things through the eyes of God. So my job is to preach. So that the, through the power of God's word, your eyes would, would be turned from whatever it is in this world that we think that we can find meaning on or the problems that we're experiencing. To have our eyes turned from, from the problems of this world to God who loves us and provides for us. You see, the Word of God will reorient us away from the present reality of our brokenness to the greater reality of God and work in our problems. So it's a part of life. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. You're going to have difficulty in this world. 
But then he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Wouldn't it be neat if God only led us towards tropical oasis? If God, never, if God never led us into the desert of sin where there was no food, but only the tropical oasis. You know, plenty of water is found at an oasis. Trees grow there, so shade is found. Animals come to find relief. They come to drink water and to find relief from the desert heat. And when there's animals, there's a little hunting that's probably involved if there are any guys there. water, there's food. An oasis is a place of comfort and ease. But that's not life. God will allow us into the desert. No water, no shade, no food. Why? Why? Well, I believe that God allows us into the desert places of life so that we can learn to trust in him and to find his miraculous provision at work in our lives. God will allow us into the desert places where we find ourselves hungry in a place of lack. Maybe it's being depleted spiritually, depleted emotionally, even depleted physically. You found yourself there? He leads us into those places so that we can see him at work in miraculous ways in our lives. You see, God, he knows your present suffering. He knows what you're going through today. And he loves you. And he desperately wants to provide for you. But our broken nature, because we're sinners, because we have a sin nature, we always want to go back. The Israelites, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Though they were enslaved by Pharaoh, they were treated harshly by Pharaoh, they wanted to go back. Have you ever heard the old term backsliding? We're all prone to backsliding. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the person, uh, the alcoholic, uh, who knows uh, he shouldn't take a drink, oftentimes will backslide back into drinking. Uh, the, the drug addict oftentimes will, will backslide. Uh, the shopaholic will backslide. The, you know, you, you understand, all of us backslide. And the Israelites, they wanted to go back to Egypt. To go back to their old way of life. Rather than to fix their eyes on Jesus, they look back to the old way, and they thought the old way would be better. After all, we had pot roast. We had plenty of food. Our broken nature wants to go back, but when we go back, we end up where? In slavery. Slaves to sin. So our broken nature wants to go back. Our broken nature also wants to complain. Complaining. Um, when I fixate on my problems, I end up complaining. Maybe I, I'm not really verbal about my complaining, but in my mind, I certainly am complaining. So the Israelites, they complained about their situation. And this wasn't the last time they would complain. If you read the account in the Old Testament of the Israelites wandering through the wilderness... It is this uh, litany of, of them entering into difficult situations and then complaining. 
grumbling rather than fixing their eyes on God. So our broken nature wants to go back. Our broken nature wants to complain. But none of that solves the problem. So these people, they complained to Moses. And you got to feel for Moses. you got to feel for that guy. He didn't want the job. You remember when Moses was called? He said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to Pharaoh. And Moses says, no, you're going. You're doing this. And he ended up in, with a congregation of complainers in the desert. So if you have any tenderness or compassion in your soul, you've got to feel for Moses. So how do we end up in these difficult places? Well, we end up in, in many difficult places for one of two reasons. First of all, because of our own foolish choices. A lot of times the reason I experience difficulty in life is because of a stupid choice that I've made. Or it's the reality of living in a broken world. So because we are a broken people, we make foolish choices. So often when I find myself in a difficult place, I make foolish choices that only compound the issue and make things more difficult. So we find ourselves in difficult places because of foolish choices and because of the reality of living in a broken world. The reality of living in a broken world. Oftentimes bad things happen in your life and it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Sometimes it is. But it's not always your fault. It's a part of living in a world that has been cursed by sin. If it was possible for you to never mess up, if it was possible for you to never make a foolish choice in life, if you could live a perfect life, you would still experience difficulty and pain and hardship in this life because this world has been ruined by sin. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then he says, in this world you will have trouble. Can't get away from it. But then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Oftentimes people will blame themselves. They'll beat themselves up over things that they're not responsible for. It's not their fault. See, we live in a broken world and thanks be to God, he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus has overcome this broken world by his death and resurrection. And so today you can have peace in that desert place, in that bad place, in that broken place. God will allow us to enter places that are difficult. But God is in the business of taking the bad and using it in your life for a good purpose. He wants you to know that he is the God that supplies, that provides. He is a God of abundance. You see, the Israelites were halfway between Alim and Sinai. If you read at the end of Genesis chapter 15, Alim was a desert oasis. A beautiful place of palm trees and plenty of water. 
And Sinai was the place God revealed his presence, his glory from the holy mountain. It was the place where God provided the Israelites with the Ten Commandments. They were halfway between the oasis of Elim and God revealing his glory. They were halfway to God's place where his power and might would be revealed. They weren't all the way to their destination yet. And then they still had the promised land, which they blew that and had to wander for 40 years. You're kind of in that in-between place, that desert place, that transitional place in life. That place where they're questioning, what is God doing here? Not an easy place. But they were on the good path. And the good path is oftentimes the hard path. The desert of sin has no food. But God meets us in the desert and provides for our needs supernaturally. See, those of us who have walked with with Jesus have come to understand that God is often hidden. His presence is in the midst of the difficulty. He comes to us in a special way in that difficult place. What appears to be a place of complete deprivation is a place of abundant divine provision. So the next time you're in that difficult place, place of life. Know that God is there. And that God is providing there. He's not just in the thunder of Mount Sinai or in the comfort of an oasis, but He's also in that desert place. Those of us who walk with Jesus, we know that God, God is often hidden there in that difficult place. This is why Paul could write in 2 Corinthians 12.10, He says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. He says, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When you find yourself in that difficult place, you come to understand as you fix your eyes on Jesus that there is a strength given to you that you don't possess, that you don't have. God is present in your suffering. It seems like he's a million miles away. Believe and know today that God is present in your suffering. Some people believe the wrong thing about God and their suffering. They believe that because life is difficult that God has abandoned them. When in fact God is present. And he's providing. So don't adopt that mentality that when bad things happen, God has left me. Nothing could be further from the truth. When you go through the difficulty, know that God is present there. He will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. Or many people believe that God will not provide because of their sinfulness. It's true. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve God's goodness. However, God is rich in mercy and he is abounding in steadfast love, even for people like me and you. He loves sinners. He provides for sinners. 
In the wilderness, and the desert of sin, he provided quail, abundant quail, manna from heaven. And who did he provide that for? Grumbling, disobedient, untrusting Israelites. And he still provides bread from heaven for grumbling, complaining, disobedience, disobedient people who don't trust him. He provides for you. Believe it and receive it. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Moses didn't provide manna for the Israelites in the wilderness, but then he is going to point us to the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus was saying that this bread that comes from heaven, he was saying to the people, is this, this bread which gives life to everybody. So the people said, of course, sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread from heaven. Whoever comes to me, Jesus said, will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. The true bread from heaven is your Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the bread from heaven. So today we are a people who say, Lord, give us this bread. Give us your son, Jesus Christ. Give us Jesus today. How does Jesus give us himself as our bread of life? Well, first of all, by the preaching of God's word. What we're doing right here, not just preaching in the traditional sense of preaching, but anytime you open the word of God, anytime you gather with other believers and you open the scriptures and you study the scriptures, that is the bread of life. That is Jesus coming to you and ministering to you through his word. So Jesus comes to us by the preaching of the gospel and also through the administration of the sacraments. You see, Jesus comes to us via very specific means. We call it the means of grace. The means of grace are the word of the gospel and the sacraments. They are his delivery mechanism to you today. You see, the word of the gospel brings Jesus to us by telling us the good news of him who died and rose again. The good news of the gospel enters through our ear and into our heart. And our crucified and living Savior promises to all who repent and believe the good news of the gospel. The forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. So today know that you are forgiven. Jesus said it. It's true. Your sins are forgiven. And you have everlasting life. Not because you earned it. Not because you deserve it. But because of what Jesus has accomplished upon the cross and in his resurrection for you. Want to eat this bread? This bread that gives that satisfies this bread in which you'll never go hungry or never thirst. It's in, 
his word because in his word their Christ is found. And then the sacraments. Why do we come to this altar and take the bread, eat it and take the cup and drink it? Why do we bring people to the baptismal font and baptize them in water? Well, the sacraments make God's invisible grace visible for us. His invisible grace becomes visible for us. It's hard to believe something that we can't see and touch and taste. But in the sacraments, we we feel the water. And we're promised the washing away of sin and new birth. We taste the bread and the wine and we receive the promise that we are forgiven and possess everlasting life. By means of his body which was broken. And his blood which was shed. The sacraments, they're, they're not a good work that we do for God. We don't come up here and partake of the sacrament because we're trying to earn something from God. Rather, we are remembering what Jesus did for us and we are receiving what Jesus did for us on the cross and in his resurrection. In baptism, we receive the promise that our sins have been washed away. You see, the sacraments are a good work that God does for you. A visible reminder. The reality of his invisible grace. Some of you may say, well, I don't remember my baptism. How many of you would say, I don't remember the day I was baptized? Many of us here. You may not remember your baptism, but you can remember that you were baptized Actually, every time you wash your face, you can remember that you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can know that in the waters of baptism that God delivered the promise of the cleansing of all of your sins. And as often as we meet together as a church, we can take bread and wine and hear and receive the promise of our salvation again. When water, bread, wine are combined with the powerful word of God, they are for us a means of grace. And these means of grace, they create and they sustain faith. We are nourished by them. Certainly the manna of heaven is Jesus. He is the true bread from heaven. And Jesus comes to us and meets us and strengthens us in his word and in his sacraments. And all who hunger... For the grace of God are welcome to this altar. Did you know that you're welcome here? That Jesus invites you here? He invites you to receive baptism. If you haven't been baptized, be baptized. And then he invites all who trust in him to come to this altar and to take the bread. Take the cup and to taste and to know that your sins are forgiven. That Jesus died for you. That you are loved. And that you have everlasting life. So this altar is open to you. Come and receive. Come and taste of the bread of life. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. 
You are so good, and you are so faithful to us. You invite us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But you invite us to receive from you today. And so, Lord, we thank you that we've already feasted upon the bread of life and the reading and the proclamation of your word. And, Lord, we continue in this feast as we uh, turn our hearts towards you in prayer. And then as we come forward to this altar to receive in the sacrament of Holy Communion. And I pray that as a result of this service today that our, our, uh, our focus would be reoriented. Away from whatever problems or distractions are facing us in life. Uh, that by your Holy Spirit we would be reoriented to focusing on you. So that we go out into the world this week. When we go to work, when we go out to, into our uh, to our families and our neighborhoods, wherever it is that we go this week, that we would go with our hearts focused upon you, serving you, honoring you, and helping those that, that we come into contact with. That we would be a people who serve our neighbors in love because of how you've served us in love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please?